snapshots, January 2024. Join the mailing list to receive the latest edition directly, admin at dermatologysnapshots.com. You can find previous editions and all other resources at dermatologysnapshots.com. All editions available as podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify. Paper 1. Efficacy and safety of cyclosporin versus methotrexate in the treatment of severe atopic dermatitis in children and young people, TREAT, a multi-centre parallel group assessor-blinded clinical trial. Carsten Floor, British Journal of Dermatology. Why we chose this paper. Cyclosporin and methotrexate are the most commonly used systemics for the management of atopic dermatitis. Head-to-head studies comparing the two are scant, and this study fills a knowledge gap in this area. Study aim and design. This was a multi-centre parallel group assessor-blinded superiority randomised control trial in the United Kingdom and Ireland. Children 2 to 16 years with no prologic, biologic, systemic were eligible. Outcomes were change in atopic dermatitis severity baseline to 12 weeks of treatment, and two, time to first significant flare, relapse, after treatment cessation. What were the main findings? 103 participants were randomised. At 12 weeks, cyclosporin showed superiority over methotrexate in terms of score-rad score, with a mean difference in change between baseline and 12 weeks of minus 5.69. There were no significant differences between treatment groups at 36 or 48 weeks, but by 60 weeks, the proportion of participants achieving score-rad 50% was in favour of the methotrexate group. Comparison of the mean number of participants reported flares following trial treatment cessation showed a significant difference between the two groups, with higher number in the cyclosporin group versus the methotrexate group. Limitations. Is it applicable? This is a well-designed UK-Ireland-based randomised control trial. Study participants are modest, 103. Doses are important to note. Cyclosporin, 4 mg per kilogram for 36 weeks. And methotrexate, 0.4 mg per kilogram once weekly. Maximum dose, 25 mg orally weekly, until week 36. What's the take-home message? This randomised control trial confirms our clinical expectation. Cyclosporin acts faster and at 12 weeks achieves better control in children with atopic dermatitis. Whilst there is no difference at 36 and 48 weeks, by week 60, methotrexate outperforms cyclosporin. Paper 2. A 43-year-old woman with chronic diarrhoea, hair loss and nail and skin changes. Lay, New England Journal of Medicine. The case. In a recent publication in the New England Journal of Medicine, a 43-year-old woman presented with abdominal pain and diarrhoea. She also reported gradual darkening skin on the face, arms and legs, as well as hair thinning and changes in the appearance of all the fingernails and toenails during the previous four months. Clinical examination revealed non-scarring alopecia over the vertex, symmetric brown macules over the lower cheeks and malar regions of the face, and diffuse brown-grey hyperpigmented macules present over the palms and the palmar aspect of the fingers. 
Onychodystrophy and onycholysis are present on all the fingernails and toenails. She has had pitting edema to the mid-calves. Suggestive differentials included autoimmune diseases, inflammatory bowel disease, lupus, vasculitis, celiac, Addison's, heavy metal poisoning, cancer, amyloidosis, cronchoid canada syndrome. The diagnosis was cronchoid canada syndrome. Cronchoid canada syndrome is a non-inherited hamartomatous polyposis syndrome. Multiple hamartomatous polyps throughout the gastrointestinal tract apart from the esophagus, loss of the hair and nails, hyperpigmentation of the skin, and usually presents with diarrhoea and protein-losing enteropathy as the dominant gastrointestinal symptom. Paper 3. Dupilumab-associated lymphoid reactions in patients with atopic dermatitis. Boez Jess et al. Journal of the American Medical Association Dermatology. Why we chose this paper. Dupilumab use is increasing rapidly and there's been concerning reports about CTCL developing after dupilumab use, which presents with worsening or recurrence of eczema symptoms after starting dupilumab. However, it's important to also be aware of dupilumab-associated lymphoid reactions, which are benign and may present similarly to CTCL. Study aim and design. This study aimed to provide a description of the clinical and histopathological features of this presentation. It was a retrospective single-centre observational case series of N equals 11 cases of adult patients with atopic dermatitis who developed DP-associated lymphoid reactions. What were the main findings? They identified 14 patients with suspected CTCL who presented with deterioration during GP treatment. Three were diagnosed with MF and 11 with lymphoid reactions. Although all had MF symptoms, histopathological features were unique. Sprinkled small hyperchromatic lymphocytes, dysregulated CD4 to CD8 ratio, CD30 overexpression, and notably without loss of CD2, CD3, CD5 markers. Presentation was on average within four months of starting treatment. Dupilumab was stopped in all cases and subsequent biopsies unanimously showed clearance of the lymphoid reaction. Limitations is it applicable? This was a small study. Longer term follow-up of these patients would be beneficial. What's the take-home message? The vast majority of patients respond well to dupilumab, but when there's a worsening of symptoms... A missed CTCL must be considered. This study reminds us to carefully review the histology and consider this benign, reversible phenomenon of GP-associated lymphoid reactions. Paper 4. Pigmented contact dermatitis and hair dyes. A retrospective case control multicenter study in Korea. Kim et al. Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. Why we chose this paper. Pigmented contact dermatitis is a rare variant of contact dermatitis which leads to sudden onset brown-grey pigmentation on the face and neck but can extend to waist, back, chest etc. The preceding inflammation is slight and the main presentation is pigmentation, often reticulate. 
Some consider it to be the same as Reels melanosis. It is seen most often in darker skin types and is thought to be related to repeated, low-level exposure to allergens. Initial links were noted to a washing powder whitener, but latterly cosmetics tend to be the main culprit. Study aim and design. A retrospective case control study comparing 1,033 patients with pigmented contact dermatitis to over 1,000 controls matched dermatology patients with other skin conditions to review factors such as skin type, sunscreen and hair dye use. What were the main findings? The pigmented contact dermatitis group had more patients with skin type 5 than the control group. In the pigmented contact dermatitis group, 486 had undergone a biopsy and 230 had had patch testing. Where tested, the rate of positive reactions to PPD in the, in the pigmented contact dermatitis group was 22% and 48% to henna. Sunscreen use was not significantly different between the groups. Hair dye use was associated with a higher risk of pigmented contact dermatitis and henna use in particular increased the risk. The dye users had more pigmentation pre-auricularly and down on the cheeks. Limitations is it applicable. Patch testing was not done in all, all patients. The study was done in Korea and we know that skin type is important for this presentation. What's the take-home message? Pigmented contact dermatitis should be considered as a differential for reticulate pigment hyperpigmentation in darker skin types. A number of allergens have been proposed to be responsible, but this study highlights a strong link to hair dye use, especially henna. Paper 5. COVID-19 associated severe mucocutaneous blistering eruptions. A case series. Miller et al. Pediatric Dermatology. Why we chose this paper. When reading the dermatology literature, we're all bombarded by studies claiming associations between a given rash and COVID-19. However, infections that can cause severe reactions are important to be aware of. The term reactive infectious mucocutaneous eruption, REAM, has come to replace mycoplasma-associated mucositis, given that other infections, including adenovirus and strep A, can trigger it. Recently, a few reports of COVID-19-associated REAM have been described. This study aimed to explore the characteristics of COVID-induced severe mucocutaneous reactions. Multicenter International Retrospective Case Series, N equals 8, of patients presenting with erythema multiforme, Stevens-Johnson, TEN or REAM, within four weeks of a positive COVID-19 test, rapid antigen or PCR, without any possible drug trigger. What were the main findings? Of the eight cases, six were paediatric, seven of eight developed REAM and one in eight TEN. 100% had oral mucosal involvement and other mucosal site involvement was very common. None died, but one required ITU. Medium timeline from positive test to presentation was six days. Where done, two out of three patients had interstitial infiltrates on chest x-ray. Most had some testing for other com common triggers, including HSV and mycoplasma. 
In four cases, there were possible other infection exposures. Limitations. Is it applicable? Three cases had positive mycoplasma IgM, but went on to have negative IgG or PCR, suggesting previous rather than concurrent infection. But the narrative would be more persuasive if all had undergone mycoplasma PCR and serology. Given how common COVID infection was over 2020 to 2022, we feel that results should be interpreted with slight caution. What's the take-home message? This study has limitation, but adds to the literature suggesting COVID-19 may be a trigger for REAM, and we should consider this in patients presenting with severe mucosal reactions in particular. More evidence is needed. Paper 6. Outcomes and characteristics of non-melanoma skin cancer in patients with myeloproliferative neoplasms on ruxolitinib. Why we chose this paper? Ruxolitinib was the first Janus kinase inhibitor improved for the treatment of myelofibrosis. In a phase 3 study, the increased risk of non-melanoma skin cancer, keratinocyte cancers, was noted. However, we have limited data on how aggressive these skin cancers are. Study aim and design. This is a retrospective study of patients with non-melanoma skin cancer from 18 United Kingdom myeloproliferative neoplasm treatment centres who were diagnosed with non-melanoma skin cancers while receiving ruxolitinib therapy. What were the main findings? 90 patients developed non-melanoma skin cancer while receiving ruxolitinib. Median interval between starting ruxolitinib and non-melanoma skin cancer diagnosis was 30 months. Most patients, N equals 60, had received prior hydroxycarbamide therapy and 33, 37.9%, had a history of skin cancer before starting ruxolitinib. 19 of 63, 30.2%, had received additional chemotherapy. Squamous cell carcinoma was, was the most common skin cancer, followed by basal cell carcinoma. Squamous cell, car squamous cell carcinoma recurrence was reported in nearly 60% of patients, N equals 34, with some cases of local recurrence, N equals 12, but also of widespread metastatic recurrence, N equals 20. 12 out of 90 died of non-melanoma skin cancer, SCC, MCC and sarcomatoid tumour. Limitations. Is it applicable? This was a retrospective study with limited numbers. What's the take-home message? In this cohort of 90 patients who developed non-melanoma skin cancer on ruxolitinib, metastatic non-melanoma skin cancer was the primary cause of death, exceeding deaths due to myelofibrosis progression. This retrospective study, in line with other studies, highlights the risk of skin cancer on ruxolitinib and the potential need for regular skin checks similar to organ transplant recipients.